Hello, beautiful people. Welcome to God is Gray, the podcast. Although I, as a Christian, believe that God resides in absolute truth, in black and white, we as people are stuck here on planet Earth contending with the gray. In church, gray areas often cause dissension, anger, and even hate. But on this platform, I welcome open dialogue, variety of opinion, and differing belief systems. God is Gray is meant to teach, inform, and simply trade stories with kindness, love, and mutual respect. If you have a story or perspective to share, please reach me, Brenda Marie Davies, at GodIsGrayXO at gmail.com. To support the cause and be a part of our community, donate to patreon.com slash gray. Now, on to the episode. I wanted to introduce you guys to Malika because she is someone in our God is Great community who has dealt with and overcome issues of depression and self-harm. And she's going to tell you in honesty her story about exorcism in the church and um, how her mental illness was misdiagnosed as demonic influence, as her not praying hard enough. And I think it's really important to get into all of that because a lot of you guys write me and say that your mental illness was not taken seriously. It was taken as solely a spiritual issue and not a real issue that can be healed through medication, through proper help through a proper diagnosis. So Malika is going to share her entire journey with us um, from how she got into self-harm, how she was attempted to heal through exorcism at the church, and then how she finally got help and believes you guys can too. I'd also like to mention that Malika has her own YouTube channel and Instagram where she addresses recovery, and it'll be a great resource for any of you. Obviously, we don't want it to be your only resource. We do want you guys to seek help, but she can absolutely introduce you to this beautiful, growing, and thriving community of people who are in recovery, who are openly sharing their stories, where you can openly share your story without judgment. A lot of you guys write me, and I know a lot of you guys that have struggled have been in communities that have dismissed or misdiagnosed genuine issues that you were having as demonic influences or the result of not praying hard enough or not believing hard enough. So these are all things that unfortunately Malika experienced, even though you were saying you believe it was in the hands of really good intentioned people. Yeah, definitely. I think all of them are brilliant people that were very nice to me in, in everything that they did. They were very kind. They took time with me. They talked with me. They prayed with me. They were very, very nice people that just had the wrong tools, I guess. Like we said last time, the how do you say it in English? The road of hell is paved with good intentions. I, I really, really believe that's yeah. what happened in this case. They were very nice people, just misled. Right. And um, I think it's important to note, too, because God is Gray and the conversations that we host here are not about attacking people and not actually about hating on church and hating on like Christian people. Like obviously I'm a Christian person, but I also have a firm belief that when we know better, it's time to do better. So now that we are seeing, you know, mental illness come more into light in 
in everything in our society it's becoming less of a stigma thank god so more people are getting treated more people are being healed and getting what they need and in churches there's been a huge awakening of people realizing that telling people it's demonic or telling people they need to pray harder has done so much more harm than good and i do believe in the power of prayer 100%, but they call things miraculous healing for a reason. They wouldn't call it a miraculous healing if it happened every time. So very often we need the combination of prayer and faith paired with real resources, um, you know, secular therapy, or at least fully trained Christian therapists that actually have the degree and know what they're doing. versus like the blind leading the blind which is what was happening in a lot of churches and still is happening to some people yeah exactly yeah so let's get into your story um so basically you described to me that you began self-harming when you were being bullied in high school yeah exactly i had friends i had uh I, i wasn't physically abused or anything but I was rejected. I was seen as the weird kid, the psych girl, the the weird girl. And that's not something very nice when you're a teenager and you are searching for a group where you can belong and you can experiment with your identity and with your life, your dislikes and all those stuff like that. And so that's really something that I didn't find at school and I was feeling very isolated. Right. And... Then you were finding solace in your youth group, in your church, because they were being more loving and accepting. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I remember that, too. I had a similar experience when I went to youth group. It was really to meet boys. And the root of that was actually that I was totally put off at school all the time, too. Like, my first kiss wasn't until 18, because... I was just a theater nerd, and I wasn't getting that attention and affection. But when you go into youth group, you're all taught to be kind to one another and to be accepting. And I've, I never saw anyone make fun of anyone in youth group, which was wonderful. It is a refreshing environment for a teenager to be in. Yeah, exactly. And, like, the rest of the life is so chaotic. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So this was really my the place where I felt at home and the place where I knew people and people knew me and they were nice and they were accepting of me and I could see them. And yeah, it was, it was a very uh, comforting environment for me. Yeah. And I'm sure many people know this, but when you're suffering through something like depression, especially in your case where it could be clinically diagnosed as depression versus just a feeling actually would you get into that for a second like how do you discern or what do you think you know qualifies someone as clinically depressed versus going through a state of depression this is where i'm gonna just (laughs) use my psychopath how do you say my psychology courses basically if you go on very uh clinical basis what defines uh, something that is pathological is the frequency, the um, intensity, and the length of what is going. So basically, if you're just feeling very down for one night and then, or maybe a week, and then it goes away, that's 
very short, it's not super intense and it's not super often. But if you are feeling very down for months on end, this is what a mental illness is. If you are at the point where you need a crutch, and in this case my crutch was self-harm, or it could be drinking, it could be a lot of things, where you know this is depression and you need psychological help. 100%. And then obviously with something like depression, you can't really change your circumstance and make it better. So a part of you trying to get better was surrounding yourself by a positive environment, by people that were treating you well at youth group. But the depression and self-harm remained anyway, correct? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um. If you don't mind me asking, what was your first version of self-harm or how did you start tiptoeing into that? So when I really started to have signs of clinical depression and when I started self-harming was when I was 14. Uh, I started by biting myself. This is actually a form of self-harm too. I would bite my hands and all of that. I did that for a few weeks and then I started uh, doing more... I guess aggressive forms, trigger warning if that could be triggering to you, but I was using, uh, what do you call it, uh, a compass, I guess. And then I started using, it. That's, that's a typical sign of addiction, is the fact that you need more and more and more and more. So mm-hmm. I started with something that didn't leave any mark, uh, it was oh, at least only temporary marks, and then I had to use something that was more like scratches, and then I was using something that was really cutting into the skin and drawing blood. And at the end, at the height of my addiction, I was just making wounds that needed stitches on almost a daily basis. That's wow. really a sign of addiction, the classic sign of addiction. Wow. Um, I do want to point out, too, I feel as an outsider, someone that hadn't experienced that, my perception growing up, especially when this was still stigmatized. And I would say that self-harm is still one of the most stigmatized versions of this. It's um, like cliched to be a female-only problem. And you say that's not true, correct? It's not a gendered issue. No, if you look at the data that is available right now, I have a video on that on YouTube if you guys want to go check it out. But it doesn't seem to be such a gendered issue, at least not as gendered as we think. Females might have a slightly higher rate, but it's really, it's subtle. I think that's really important to address. It always breaks my heart when men are completely left out of conversations like this, whether it be self-harm or eating disorders. These are not gendered issues that can affect either person. And you told me too that the, the female form and male form kind of come they take different forms. Like yeah, it, man might be punching a wall, hurting his fist, that right. sort of thing. It's two factors in that. It's that men are way less likely to seek help for their mental illness, so they're less likely to be heard by a therapist, and therefore you just think, well, they might just not self-harm. Mm-hmm. And the point is what you were pointing out is that they usually don't use the classic cutting method, methods or something like that. They would punch a wall or they would... Uh, use ways that are less thought of in your general mind as self-harm. Yeah, that's interesting too because I've like had relationships where guys punched a wall and I would have never translated that in that way. Yeah, that can be self-harm, yeah. Yeah. 
Um, another stigma I would say that maybe I didn't have, but I was like exposed to is the idea that it's almost glamorized self-harm or that it's a problem or issue that teenage girls take on to get attention, um, or to look cool. Like, what do you think of something like that? Well, if we're really talking about the attention side of it, I've done a video about that too, but my... My response is, so what? Even if it is attention, if someone is at that point of needing, of needing attention this bad, we should listen to them and we should give them treatment because that's that's not okay, that's too much. And the other response I could give to that is that from my own experience and the experience I've had with interacting with self-harmers, because I've been on Instagram for three years now, with my, my page called Self-Harmer Problems that I've used daily for three years now and interacting with people and hearing people's stories and stuff like that. Most people will spend so much time hiding what they're doing. I, I can tell for myself too, I spent hours thinking about, okay, how am I going to hide this in this situation, in this situation from these people, from these people? Mm. Usually from what I've seen myself, I'm not a psychologist, but that's what I've seen as a an activist or something, I don't know how you would call me, but most people will go to great, great lengths to hide what they're doing. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah, because I feel like on Tumblr, I've seen the opposite, you know? It does happen. Some people are just very open about what they're doing and glamorizing it to the, to the extreme. Well, first, they still need help and they still need validation and all of that. But the second thing, I think it can be a way a way to cope with what's going on with you. And a third thing that I could add to that is something I came up with, which is what I call baby cut syndrome, which is the um, competitiveness that comes with addiction and the comparison with other people and, oh, do I have bigger scars than them? Do they have bigger scars than me? And that... I know that sounds just crazy to anyone that hasn't dealt with self-harm, but this is often something that people can understand when it comes to eating disorders. We know that people with anorexia are often comparing themselves and, oh, but I think this girl is thinner than me. And But basically that happens with self-harm too. And I think that by posting yourself out there, it's maybe a way maybe to deal with that feeling of I'm not good enough of a self-harmer basically wow interesting I yeah. can say I had anorexia for I believe four years and I can relate to that just in the opposite I didn't want to acknowledge that I had a problem at all and I didn't realize I had been anorexic until a couple years later really? and I was eating like an apple including the core in the morning because I was so hungry and water for dinner but I always in my head was like, oh, but other people are more extreme. There's other yeah. girls, you know, and it was just never, I didn't want to categorize myself in that way. I guess when you're, when you're a self-harmer, what you're doing is very visible and it's very visibly wrong. You, you know that you're not supposed to cut yourself. So a lot of people will still have um, some denial of what they're doing. I did when my mom found out what I was doing. I was like, no, it's not a big deal. Uh, all teenagers do it because I was just in, in denial that it's not a normal thing to do. But right. I think there's both the denial and the 
competitiveness and the uh, yeah addiction cycle that always makes you want to do more. Would you mind explaining to me for anyone that maybe has a friend or a loved one that is into self-harm, what is the benefit? What does the self-harmer receive from this? Because I think it's a really foreign concept to people that don't understand why someone would want to be hurt in this way. This can be so, so hard to understand when you you learn that someone in your in your surrounding is self-harming. It can be so hard to understand why they're doing it. I know that for my parents it was so, so hard. And what my dad told me is that he could understand someone that has that is an alcoholic because everyone's been a bit too tipsy and had a bit too much to drink and it felt good and he could understand why people were seeking that. But when you hurt yourself, usually you don't like it and you you, you don't understand why that would uh, help someone. So basically when you hurt yourself, your, your body is very clever and it has a lot of ways to uh, make the pain less intense and uh, to... Not, not too much, so you can get to a safe place, basically. So to make it short and simple, you have an endorphin release when you experience pain. Endorphin is basically, the word means morphine that your body does itself. So this is a very, very addictive feeling. You often um, hear about the runner high when you've done a huge run and you're sore, but you feel so good because you've had this endorphin release or when you've done any kind of sport. That I think that's basically what it feels like. It's it just brings you a lot of relief, emotional relief, basically. That's yeah. that's the short way. And then behind that, there can be a lot of mechanisms like wanting to punish yourself or wanting to uh, ground yourself, or it, it can have a lot of other more specific meaning, but. The basic is endorphin release, and it feels very good. So you're in this state of self-harm, and currently it's getting worse and worse, a little bit of a runaway train situation, and you are at youth group. At what point do you have a realization that you might need some help, or you know, someone else approaches you, or you know, at what point did you sort of let your story or your truth come out in your youth group community? Um, very early, I guess. I, I was very, uh, I was very secretive with my parents for a long time. But, uh, so from them, I was very careful to hide it. But, uh, from the youth group members, I was very, very open about my struggles in a way that almost embarrasses me now because everyone knows what's been happening to me at that time. And it's something very private. And I was very out there about what was going on with me because I was kind of desperate and I needed some help. So from almost... Well, if you I would don't mind me interrupting, is that such a bad thing? I understand the embarrassment you might have or the shame, but I think the power in telling your story and speaking your truth out loud is what would give you the power to heal. And maybe yeah. you weren't doing it in the healthiest environment because the people weren't equipped to receive that information. However, I don't think your instinct to share that was bad. No, you're, you're right. You're right. So um, this is uh, one of those key camps is where I received my first um, exorcism session. Because in those key camps, they had um, dedicated um, nights where this, this was the, the topic of the, the night. 
it was a deliverance exorcism basically where you could uh, come forward and some of the leaders would pray with you um, to basically get uh, your struggles out, your demons out. So I had, I, I think it was something like three people praying for me and it was, it's quite kind of heavy prayer and yeah, basically asking for the demons that I supposedly had in me to get out. They okay. told me I had something, um, a destruction spirit, uh, death spirit, because I was very suicidal at that point in me and that they were going to get it out, basically. Right. So basically in the church environment, you expressed a sincere depression, self-harm issue, and it was immediately translated into these are the three demons you have and we need to perform an exorcism or deliverance as you would call it. So just for clarity for everybody, this isn't you tied to a bed, throwing up pea soup and, you know, holy water, but the concept of exorcism is to get rid of demons that you have inside of you. And the genuine belief was that you had demonic influence on you. Yeah, Yeah, definitely. Or, yeah, I think they call them spirits, but basically, yeah, that's the yeah. same thing. You, you've got a demon somewhere, and now they're inside you, and you have to get, in, get them out. Yeah, and just for the record, I'd like to state, like, as a Christian, I do have a belief in good and evil. I do have a belief that a person can be influenced in that way. I, I believe, as weird as anyone might think I am, that there could be truth to that. However... Again, like I said about miraculous healing, that is not always the answer. That is not the only thing that people are struggling with. It's like, I think the combination of intellect plus spirituality is key to almost everything in in life. And from my perspective, you can't just have fully one or fully the other. You have to be exercising both in unison to really truly heal whatever is going on with yourself or with another person. Yeah, Yeah, definitely all mental health issues were just seen as a spiritual issue. Right. With demons, with spirits, and that was it. Yeah, yeah. So they performed this exorcism. Did you feel healed for even a moment? or? I remember I felt extremely drained afterwards. Um, I remember it was very intense, but I remember that the morning afterwards, I still felt something was wrong. So I went back to them and asked them to do a second one. And I'm pretty sure they did, maybe not this day, but the day after. But yeah, they had, there was a second uh, session. And that's when the whole thing started to get put in place of, well, if it's not working, it's either that you don't want it hard enough that you are not ready or you're not praying hard enough or you're just not allowing demons to go away and that's what happened for a whole year before my parents intervened because they found out and I got proper treatment for what was going on yeah you don't have to put proper treatment in quotes (laughs) yeah sexual treatment yeah and my heart really goes out because as someone that it's just lucky enough to have not dealt with um, 
many issues outside of like the anorexia. I really had no idea that people with mental health issues were experiencing this in church. But ever since starting God is Gray, I've gotten probably hundreds of messages and emails from people who were told your faith isn't strong enough. You don't want this bad enough. You must not really be a Christian. You know, there's something about you that wants to keep holding on to this demonic influence. And it's been so harmful for so many people. Yep. And that's the whole year where I was just given faith-based treatment that I could have started getting help for what was going on. And that's the year where things really deteriorated. So I'm pretty sure that if I had gotten proper treatment from the beginning, I wouldn't have... I wouldn't have needed inpatient time. I wouldn't be covered in scars. I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be where I am today. So I'm pretty sure that's a year that was kind of wasted on on that aspect. Mm. So what does proper treatment look like versus spiritual treatment? We know what the spiritual side is. So what is the proper treatment side? Well, if I'm talking about my experience, so if I, if I continue the story, so a whole year went went by and just getting this exorcism, I think in total I received between three and maybe five uh, deliverance sessions. So there was a whole year and then there was another ski camp when I received something like two or three, at least two other sessions. And then after that, um, my parents started to really come to what was going on and discovering how bad I was doing. And pretty much immediately after that, I got sent to a psychiatric hospital for kids because I was way too suicidal to be kept at home. And my mom was very scared and she asked me to to get inpatient, basically. I was inpatient for six weeks and then I was uh, in therapy for, um, I would say, at least three years. And I'm still on medication to these days, so... For me, what looked like proper treatment was inpatient treatment in the hospital for the crisis periods and for the time I was very, I was really in danger to myself. Then it was regular therapy. It was medication. Medication really, really helped me. I'm taking uh, an antidepressant and something for my sleep so I can sleep at night. And that really has just changed my life. I don't think I would be there today if I wasn't on on medication Mm, yeah I think removing from the stigma from medication is important within churches as well because we're very willing to accept medication when it comes to physical illness yeah you know the understanding that mental illness also requires that at times is very important to acknowledge And I'm one of those, like, all-natural, hippie kind of chicks. I like avoiding drugs at all costs. But, you know, you have to work with a professional and see what you need. If tomorrow you discovered you had cancer, you wouldn't go, oh, no, I'm going to just take some essential oils and I will be fine. You would get surgery. You would get what they recommend. So if you have a very serious ailment, you need medication for stop. Well, Maybe not medication, but you need proper treatment. Yeah. And like we've already said, and I'll reiterate, like I would also be praying my heart out. But yes, you can do that. Simultaneously. You can. 
Exactly. You would do both. So I think some of the last questions I'd like to ask are just, how did you heal? And how do you believe other people can be set on a path of healing if they're experiencing the same thing? I would say a good part of the healing for me was just getting proper treatments and getting proper medical attention. And every time I receive a DM on Instagram from someone that is asking me, what should I do? What's what should I do? I'm, I'm just feeling so bad. One of my first questions is, are you receiving professional help? Because I think this is just so, so important. And this is really one of my first recommendations for everyone. Because I'm not a professional. I can't do much at distance. I mean, I can give you my story. I can give you some hope. I can give you some basic coping skills. I can give out some awareness. But I can't personally treat you I, I I can just be an internet friend basically I mm-hmm. can do much more than that it's having a supportive family a supportive surrounding there to support you and is there to love you that's related to things that were very very important to me yeah and I think on the converse of that you did mention that you removed yourself from the church environment for a time and I think I tell people the same thing when they ask me for help. I'm like, I'm so sorry, I'm not qualified to give you this help. But I always recommend help from a professional and also to remove yourself from toxic environments. And unfortunately, yes, sometimes that includes the church environment when you're going through something like this. If you are surrounded by people that are telling you something is your fault or that you need to be ashamed or that you're not praying hard enough, etc. You actually have to remove yourself from that environment because it's become toxic and you're mm-hmm. dealing with people that are not qualified or able to address the root of what's going on. Yeah, and exactly. if Christians listening, I would encourage you to not have fear in that. Like, if we have the Holy Spirit, if you are a faith-based person, God will go with you <laughs> to your therapy appointment. God yeah. will be with you in the journey, whether or not you're stepping foot into that building. And it doesn't mean you have to walk away from church for the rest of your life. But I do absolutely always say, if you recognize toxic messages and behavior, and those people are not changing, they're not listening to you, you absolutely have to remove yourself to get better. I think the last thing to mention too on this path of recovery is that when you're in it, sometimes you can't see past the fog and you think you're never going to get out of it. And also these behaviors become almost a friend to you. A lot of people with eating disorders see their eating disorder as a companion as something that is helping them through life. And I imagine self-harm is the same. It's something you rely on. It's something that you almost feel an affection for after a while. Yeah. What do you, would you say about that? Yeah, I I definitely agree. It's, it's something that has gone on you through your, your darkest time in your life. This is the thing that is helping you survive in your daily life. So of course you're, getting attached to it almost in the uh, Stockholm syndrome kind of way because yeah. it's it's the thing that is hurting you so much but you feel so attached to it and it's it, it can just be so hard to imagine a life without self-harm but it is possible it is 
beautiful. <laughs> I am so glad I stopped self-harming. I'm yeah. so glad I'm clean and I'm so far into my my own recovery and I can help others. But I can still uh, think about myself when I was a few a few years back when I was still in deep deep into self-harm. I couldn't imagine my life without it. And but yeah, it is possible. You can live without it and life is beautiful without self-harm. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's such a lie that your brain starts telling you that these negative, harmful things are there to help you. Yeah. And I agree, there is some light and beauty at the end of that tunnel. Just keep walking through. So I encourage all of you guys, first of all, to share your stories openly, um, even if it's humiliating or scary. I do think one of the first steps, obviously, is the acknowledgement. And when you're on the journey of healing, my prayer would be that you would turn away from anything, any resources that encourage the behavior. I know there's so many sites and forums you can be on that create a community of safety around harm and, like, give each other tips and, you know, help on the subject. The same thing with eating disorders. So turn away from those communities and turn instead towards Malika's YouTube channel, her Instagram. I'll link all of those below. And I'm sure you also have a network of people and other resources you could link people to as well. Because there are people that are out of this and that are in recovery and you can look to them instead and learn from that. Yeah. The recovery community is big and it's growing That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story. You're welcome to. If you have any questions or anything like that, I will be in the comments and I will be responding to you. Okay, amazing. We love you guys so much. Thank you for listening. Like I said, I'll be linking Malika's resources and her page below. And go ahead and start a conversation below. If any of you are ready to share your story with honesty in the comment section, God is gray is a safe space. I will definitely delete anything that is, you know, cruel or negative. I will protect you guys in the comment section. So just go for it. Let's be a community that helps each other and helps grow. And if anyone has any questions, Malika is open to helping anyone that doesn't understand, understand, And that's it. We love you guys so much. God bless.